You are listening to Press Church Podcast. Please enjoy this week's message. We started this sermon series about six, seven weeks ago, and what we based it on, what we focused on, was a story in Acts chapter 17. And we talked about Paul coming into a town and going to church, going to the synagogue, and... All he did was preach. He preached a message. If you read in Acts chapter 17, the beginning part, that Christ died for your sins, he was buried in a tomb, and he rose again the third day. That is the gospel message. That is all he preached. And all of a sudden, there was a riot. There was uh, just turmoil throughout the town. And uh, the city officials and people dragged the people that were watching Paul and housing Paul into the town hall. And they made this statement in verse uh, 17, verse 6. And they said that these men have turned this world upside down. And we've talked about how Paul did not come into this town with sword and shield. He did not come with money. He did not come with power, become a politician. All he did was preach the gospel. He used his mouth and he spoke the word of the gospel and the world said what he's saying is turning the world upside down. So therefore, there has to be teachings in the scriptures that Jesus taught that are contrary to what the world is teaching and what the world is telling us. So we dove in to the first week of declaring And seeing that God is a world changer, Jesus is a world changer, the Holy Spirit is a world changer, the disciples were world changers, the Apostle Paul was a world changer, and we were called to be world changers. Romans chapter 12, verse 2, but be transformed, don't be conformed to this world and what the world is teaching us, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. So therefore, we had to renew our mind by finding out what Jesus said and how it was contrary to what the world is saying. Second week, we talked about I am a servant. The world told us if you want to be great, you've got to push everybody else down. You've got to kick everybody else off the corporate ladder. What Jesus said, if you want to be the greatest in the kingdom, you've got to be a servant. The next week, we talked about I am a giver. The world teaches us that if you want something, you've got to take it. We talked about right now we have the great Lysol crisis of 2020. I cannot find a bottle of Lysol anywhere that people said, I need all the Lysol imaginable in my house and I'm going to hoard it and keep it for myself. That's just humanity. When a crisis comes, we like to hoard, push everybody else away. That's not what Jesus taught. Upside down teaching is be a giver. You're more blessed to give than to receive is what it says in Acts. The third one we talked about is I am a lover. The world tells us if you have enemies, you're supposed to hate those enemies. Hate the enemies. People that come against you, people that do you wrong, you hate them. You push them away, you don't help them, you don't do anything to them. Jesus' upside down teaching is love your enemies. Don't hate them, love them. The next one we talked about, I am a child. That we know in the world that adults run the world, that being an adult is pushed and proclaimed as being better than being a child. We know that. Children can't drive. They can't own a company. They they can't fly a spaceship to the moon. But Jesus said, if you want to come into the kingdom of God, you've got to be like a little child. You've got to have that faith. You've got to crawl into Jesus' lap and be a child. I am a believer is what we talked about last week. I am a believer. We talked about faith. The world teaches us, look at what you see and then believe that. That with science, it's established. We have the scientific method that tells us you have to do experiments, you have to observe something with your eyes, you have to see something, and once you see that, you believe it. Jesus preaches the complete opposite. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That we are called to be believers without ever seeing it. Remember Jesus tells Thomas, touch my hands, touch my wounds, touch my side. And I'm glad that you believe because you see me. But you are more blessed. The people are more blessed for those who don't see. If there's a blessing attached to when you don't see. We made the decision that I'm going to be 
a believer. And the last one we are going to talk about is I am a receiver. We're going to talk about what the world teaches us, and then we're going to talk about the upside-down teaching of Jesus. I am a receiver. The world's point of view when it comes to being a receiver as what we're talking about today is in the simple word of karma. The world's idea out there is you get what you deserve. You get what you deserve. How many of us, whether we believe in karma or not, something bad happens in our life and we instantly think, oh, I shouldn't have done that. I did this and because of this, this bad thing happened. Shouldn't have done this, shouldn't have done that. Or something good happens and you get prideful and you pat yourself on the shoulder. Oh, well, that's because I, I did this and this. That's why I got this. Karma, according to dictionary.com, the Hinduism or Buddhism term is seen as bringing upon oneself inevitable results, whether good or bad, either in this life or in reincarnation. In Hinduism, it's believed that it's one of the means of reaching Brahman. In theosophy, it's the cosmic principle according to which each person is rewarded or punished in one incarnation according to that person's deeds in previous incarnations. Another definition is fate or destiny. Another definition is the good or bad emanations felt to be generated by someone or something. As I was reading through and studying, I found out, didn't even know this, there are 12 laws of karma. I didn't know there were 12 laws of karma. I just thought there was karma. You do good, you get good. You do bad, you, do, you get bad. I'm pretty sure this fella never thought somebody would be reading his words, but the Shatatva Brahman in 700 BCE, or before Christ, explains the meaning of karma to us. So this fella, 700 BC, said this about karma. While our bodies may die, the soul is eternal and it continues its journey through many lifetimes. The soul creates a system of actions and reactions, or karma, throughout these lives, forming a cycle of rebirth and the totality of our actions and their reactions in this and previous lives determine our future. And he finished his statement with this. Thus, a man is born to the world he is already made. That the world teaches us that if you do bad, you get bad. If you do good, you get good. And if bad things are happening to you, then you need to go do some good things to cross out the bad juju that has happened before you. In some way, shape, or form, we've believed that, we've heard that, we've taught that, we've experienced, or we thought that we've experienced it. That's the world's point of view. You get what you deserve. But the upside-down teaching that we're going to talk about today in regards to Jesus is you get what Jesus deserves, and he got what you deserved. And we're going to look at that today. In the Old Covenant, it had a similar ring of karma to it. The Old Covenant had 613 commandments that people were encouraged, strongly encouraged, to obey. Let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 28. We're going to go deep into the Old Testament for a little bit. Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 1 and 2. Now it shall come to pass. This is speaking to the Jews. This is speaking to the Israelites as the covenant, the 613 laws are being presented to them. Now it shall come to pass if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God. Diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God. Okay, I, I can, I don't know about diligently, but I, I can try obey. To observe carefully all his commandments 
Okay, now we're getting, we're getting a little crazy here. Which I command you today that the Lord your God will set you high above all nations of the earth. Verse 2. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Amen. That sounds good. So if I diligently obey, if I carefully observe, and then they throw the word obey in one more time in two scriptures to make sure I, I get the drift, then all these blessings will come upon me. Blessings will overtake me. If I do good, I get good, according to the old covenant. But if you go down, there's only, from two, chapter 2 to verse 14, are the blessings. Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 15, is where we get the uh-oh moment. But it shall come to pass if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commandments and his statutes which I command you today that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you and the church says amen, right? Woo, amen. And if you keep reading this and if you've got your Bible open, you can just scan down Deuteronomy 28 and I believe there are 50 or 60 more verses underneath that of the curses that are going to come upon you if you disobey one of those commandments. 613, you better learn them, you better obey them, you better carefully observe them, you better be diligent, and if you do all that, blessings are going to overtake you. Yes, all right, awesome. But if you mess up even once, 60 plus curses are going to overtake you. Well, that's a bit extreme. God? And then in Hebrews, we can see that God tells us, and we talk about it in communion, that there was an old covenant, and it did what it needed to do, and God created that old covenant. But God de decided to create a new covenant, one that was based on better principles and better things. So let's see what Jesus has to say about this. Can you also look up Titus 2, 13 and 14. John chapter 12, starting in verse 30. And Jesus answered and said, This is, this voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. Verse 31. Uh, it's you all right. I'm sorry. I'm making you do a bunch of stuff today. Verse 31. Now is the judgment of the world. Let's stop right here and settle on this statement that Jesus is making to his disciples. Now is the judgment of the world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. Wait a second. If you read this story, Jesus is not on the cross. Jesus has not died. He has not taken one stripe on his back. He has not had the crown of thorns placed upon his head. He's not had the spear rupture his side. He has not yelled out, it is finished. He has not gone down into hell and taken death, hell, and the grave's keys from them. He hasn't made a mockery like it says in Colossians, making a mockery of the, of, of the, uh, the principalities of the air. He hasn't risen from the dead. He hasn't gone to heaven into the throne room and thrown his blood all over the mercy seat in heaven. He hasn't done one of those things, but look at Jesus' face statement when he says, right now is the judgment of the world. Right now, the ruler of this world will be cast out. I feel like at that moment, Satan probably closed his eyes thinking something was going to happen and then kind of one-eyed it. I'm still here. He didn't mean that. Jesus had a very, very crazy ministry where he did a lot of things. He made a lot of faith statements, did a lot of faith actions before he ever went to the cross. How could Jesus stand in front of people and say, your sins are forgiven when he hadn't died on the cross? 
How could Jesus heal anybody when he hadn't taken stripes on his back? How could he stand in front of the disciples and look at the devil and say, you are defeated and the judgment and curse of this world is over outside of him declaring in faith? And Jesus writing tons and tons of IOU checks because he knew without a shadow of a doubt that he was going to that cross and he was going to die on that cross for your sins. He was going to get buried in a tomb and take on the punishment that you deserve and he was going to rise from the dead and be forever exalted. Verse 32, And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. The upside-down teaching, you get what you deserve, you get what Adam did. Whether you like it or not, you were born with a sin nature. You were born with what Adam did. Jesus shows up and says, yeah, the first Adam, he screwed up but I'm going to be the last Adam and I'm going to redeem what he screwed up. And he says, if I'm drawn up, if I'm placed on this cross, I will draw all men unto me. And then verse 33 says, this is, this he said, signifying by what death he would die. Let's look at Titus chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. I don't have it. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Looking, Paul is writing to Titus, he says, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that we might redeem us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people zealous for good works. He gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed. He became a ransom for us. Purify himself for his own special people. He chose to do this. He chose to take on your lawless deeds so that way you could inherit and you could become his special people. The best way to show Jesus Giving, taking on what you deserve and giving you what he deserves is the story of Barabbas in Matthew chapter 27. We're going to dive deep into the story. He's standing before Pontius Pilate. The religious leaders are there. It's a custom that he releases one person, one person from jail a year at that time. They're asking, should I release him? He, there's nothing wrong with him. And they start yelling, release Barabbas. Verse 23, then the governor said, why, what evil has he done? But they cried out all the more saying, let him be crucified. Verse 24, when Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all, but rather that a turmoil was rising, a riot was about to happen, he took water, he washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person you see to it. Verse 25, and all the people answered, and said, his blood, aren't you thankful? They're probably thankful now that they said this. Let his blood be on us and our children, verse 26. And here's the gospel message. In one scripture, the beauty of the gospel. And then he released Barabbas to them. And when he had scourged Jesus, that's when he took on that whipping for you and your healing. He delivered him to be crucified. Barabbas was a murderer. Barabbas was an Antarch, an Antarchist. Sorry, I didn't say that right. He was anti-government. He was anti-everything. He started a revolt, led riots, murdered people, did not care at all about who Jesus was, we don't see one more reference of Barabbas in the scriptures. We don't see one more reference. The next scripture doesn't say, and Barabbas fell down at Jesus' feet. 
became a disciple. Thank you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I'll serve you forever, Jesus. We don't see that in the scriptures at all. They released Barabbas. They took off the shackles that he deserved. And they let him walk free. A murderer, an enemy. And Jesus said, I'll stand in his place. And then Jesus stood where Barabbas was and put his hands out and put his feet out for them to shackle him. The beautiful picture. You are Barabbas. I am Barabbas. It says in the scriptures that we Gentiles were enemies. It says in the scriptures we were foreigners. It says that we were not friends or even close to any way, shape, or form being close to having a relationship with God. There was, there was sin in our heart. The wages of sin leads us to death. We had blood on our hands that we were anti-God. We were anti-everything. And Jesus said, although you deserve death, I'll stand in your place. I'll take on that punishment. I'll take it on. I'll take on everything that you're supposed to get so that you can have everything that I want to give to you. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 5 and 6. For there is one God, if there's any question, if there's any doubt, all gods lead to God. No, no, no. It's established here. Paul is writing to his son in the faith, Timothy. Let it be known, there is one God... And there's one mediator between God and man. There is not all roads lead to God. All religions lead to God. Everybody can get in however you feel, however, whatever way you want to go. No, no, no. Jesus paid too high of a price for there to be a back door for you to get into heaven. Jesus made the statement, <clears throat> I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Paul has that revelation and is giving it to his son in the faith. There is one God, there is one mediator between God and man. And I thank God that it's also a man. The man, Jesus Christ. That word mediator there in the Greek, it means one who intervenes between two. Aren't you glad that there's somebody there helping you? either in order to make or restore peace. One who intervenes between two, either in order to make or restore peace and friendship. One who intervenes between two, either in order to make or restore peace and friendship, or form a compact or ratify a covenant. A medium of communication, an arbitrator. And that's who Jesus is for you. He stood in that place. And any time God ever has any concern about you, which he doesn't, he loves you. Any time you're trying to communicate as a preacher, as one who is charged to communicate to people publicly, communication's hard. As a husband and talking to the opposite sex, it's hard to talk to women. And women, I know it's hard to talk to men. As having children, a five-year-old who can talk and an eighth-month-old who can't say anything, communication is hard. And now you want me to communicate with a God who I can't see, that I'm trusting and believing that he hears. But it says here that our mediator... Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, and I'm trying to say what I want to say to God, and I, I don't know if I'm saying it right. I don't know if that's the scripture or if I'm quoting it correctly. 
There's my mediator sitting right next to the Father saying, this is what he means, God. This is what he's saying. Remember your word. Remember your covenant. He's asking for healing. You said that he would be healed. Look at my body. Look at what he did. Father, we have to be true to our word and heal them because we've ratified the covenant. Thank you, Jesus. We don't deserve what he did for us. But I sure am glad that he did it. And I sure am glad that he's my mediator to allow me to walk boldly into his throne room of grace. I wrote this, Jesus never sinned and did not deserve to die. The only way that he could die is by taking on sin. And if he never sinned, he had to take on somebody else's sin, which is your sin and my sin. Because the wages of sin is death. No ifs, ands, or buts. You keep sinning, you are going to die. It'll take you down a road that you don't want to go on. Jesus could not die because he never sinned, so therefore he had to take on somebody else's sin. And the way that we know he paid the price for our sin is that he died. But he decided to receive what humanity deserved to receive so that humanity could receive what he deserved. Humanity deserved death. Humanity deserved all the benefits of sin and sickness. Humanity deserved separation from God for eternity. But instead, because of what Jesus did, and because I'm a receiver today, humanity received life and more abundantly. Humanity received forgiveness of sin. Humanity received healing from all sickness. Humanity received eternal life as now a family member of God. That's what you received today. Now, I want to let you know that, and you know this, but I want to remind you today, that Jesus is not still in hell paying for your punishment and your sin. We know that he is risen from the dead. We know that he is seated at the right hand of the Father. So Jesus received what you deserved for only a temporary amount of time, so therefore he could give to you what he deserves for eternity. And because he stepped down out of his kingship from heaven and humbled himself as a man, it says in Philippians chapter 2 that because he humbled himself even to the cross, God said, I'm going to promote you. God says, I'm going to make your name better than any other name in the existence of the world. And at your name, no matter whether they want to or not, every knee must bow and every tongue must confess that you are Lord. He took on the temporary punishment and pain, and now for eternity, he will forever reign. He has been promoted. He has been seated on high. Jesus is the name above all names. And he did that so that we could receive his name. But I want to share something with you today of something else that Jesus re received. His reward for going to the cross. Let's look at Isaiah chapter 62. I need y'all to listen faster. We, we got to go. Isaiah 62 verse 11. Indeed the Lord has proclaimed. The Lord has proclaimed. To the end of the world. Say to the daughter of Zion. Surely your salvation is coming. Behold, his reward is with him. Well, what's his reward? Well, let's read the previous word. Your salvation is his reward. Surely your salvation, lowercase y, your salvation, people's salvation is coming. Behold, his reward, capital H, talking about Jesus, is with him. And his work is before him, verse 12. And they shall call them the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord, and you shall be called sought out a city not forsaken. Jesus' name was promoted on high, 
Everyone who hears that name and experiences that name, whether on earth or whether in eternity, you're going to bow that knee to that name for what he did and paid a price for you, whether you receive it now or never. But God made a way that the reward for Jesus going to the cross is your salvation. You might think that going to heaven is your reward, but it's not. You going to heaven is Jesus' reward for all the souls that he paid. Your salvation, it says, is his reward. And it was prophesied before Jesus even showed up. That makes going to heaven even funner. That by me going to heaven is just another way that I can say, thank you, Jesus. And now, do you see the importance of evangelism? Because it's my goal now, and it should be your goal, it should be the church's goal, is to bring as many rewards as we can to Jesus. Every person that I can lead to Jesus is a reward for him and what he did for me. And that when I get to heaven, I can bring my children. Our son got saved Easter weekend, prayed with his mom in bed. Eliza, without a shadow of a doubt, she'll get saved. We're still working on Maddie. She's going to get there. We're going to get her saved. She's not in here. She's not in church. So, you know, we can question her salvation with a voice like that. Can, can we question that? But that I have the opportunity of people that I've interacted with in life and that I've had the opportunity to lead to Jesus. And I get to bring them with us to heaven. I get to bring myself, my friends, my family, people in church, people that hear me online that I've never seen before and get to bring them to Jesus. Here's your reward for what you did on the cross. And it's why evangelism is so important. Yes, it's, it's important to save a soul from hell. But we get it twisted. We focused on pull them out of hell. We got to get them out of the fire. We got to pull them out of hell. No, no, no. Change your perspective. I'm bringing my rewards to Jesus. Jesus deserves this soul. Your friends, your family, your coworkers, the people that are struggling, that are hurting, that are going through life, that you have the You've been a receiver. You've received what Jesus has done for you. To be able to share that with them, to be able to bring that to Jesus as another reward. Be encouraged to bring as many rewards to Jesus as possible. All right, let's fly through this. I am a receiver. Say that with me today. One, two, three. I am a receiver. Three ways to become a receiver. Number one, receive the benefits of of Jesus. That's pretty simple. Jesus paid a high price. He stepped in your place and took on everything. Jesus did not stop the negative impact of what was coming to him that you deserved. Jesus did not say, I'll die, but I'm not going to hell. You know what? I'll die, but let's go forward in the future and and let me die by like a firing squad. I don't want to die on the cross. I've seen that whipping post and that doesn't look fun. Like I can save them, but they don't need to be healed. No, no, no. Jesus took every step that he could to make sure that you received everything that he deserved. So it's about time that we quit wishy-washing around and saying, well, I don't know if I believe in this or healing. No, 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 no. It's time to find out what he did, and if he paid the price for it, then it's time to start receiving it. He paid too high of a price. He took on all the negativity. He didn't shy away from it one bit. Then it should be our responsibility to find out what we are supposed to receive from him and receive it all. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to read through it a little bit. Verses 1 through 10, I tried to chop it up, I tried to, and it's just too good. And you, he made alive. Right there is a mind-blowing thing. You, me, he made alive. That there was no way, no way, shape, or form that I could come out of that grave. There's no way that my, I could regenerate my dead spirit. No way possible. And it says in the first scripture, and you, 
he made alive. No ifs, ands, or buts. No, I'll wait and see what they do. He just made you alive. You who were dead in trespasses and sin. Verse 2. Come on, voice, don't fail me now. In which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Guess what? You're no longer the sons of disobedience because you are now part into the family of God. You're no longer a son of disobedience. You are a son of God because of what Jesus did. Verse 3, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature, whether you liked it or not, children of wrath just as the others. No one's better than anybody else. We're all sinners. And if you break one sin, if you break one of the commandments, you're no better than the one who broke all 613. But here it is, but God, who is rich in mercy. God is not penny-pinching. There is no shortage of coins when it comes to mercy where he's saying, I can only give it to this group of people. I can only give my mercy to this amount of people. I've only got, I don't know, a hundred bucks worth of mercy, so I can only save a hundred people. No, no, no. It says he's rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in trespasses, he's over and abundant, rich in mercy and willing to pour it out. He's ready and willing because he showed us on the cross. If he'll give us Jesus, he'll give us anything. He broke the bank. He emptied the bank with Jesus. Then he'll empty the rest of heaven for you as well. Made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Verse 6. And he did this, not us, raised us up together. He did this, not us, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I couldn't sit in those heavenly places by myself. He did that, verse 7, that in the ages to come, he did so much for us. He stood in our place for a temporary moment so that we could receive from him for the rest of eternity. God is so good and he's done such good things to us. Look at this verse, that in the ages to come, for eternity, that he might show the exceeding riches of his grace. You've only tasted, listen to this, you've only tasted, no matter how sinful you are, no matter how bad you think you are, you've only tasted uh, just a small piece of his grace and for the rest of eternity, he is going to pour out exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us. Because of you? No, because of what Jesus did. And because of what Jesus did, and because I believe what he did, I am a receiver of that exceeding grace for the rest of my life and eternity. Verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourself, it is a gift of God. Look at this. We've always looked at this as a perspective from us, that God's giving us a gift. For by grace you have been saved through faith. The gospel message right there. We believe by faith God's grace is allowing us as Gentiles, to be saved and come into his kingdom, that it's not ourselves. There's nothing we can do to obtain it. It is a gift of God. But look at it from the perspective that we talked about with Jesus' reward being our souls. That not only is this a gift of God to humanity, it's also a gift from God to Jesus. That by grace you have been saved through faith. That every time someone believes that right there, it is a gift to you and it is a gift to Jesus. As soon as they believe, another present is brought to Jesus. And an angel brings him a present, says, here's another soul that you paid for. They received what you did for them. Here's another soul. I can just close my eyes and just see a line of angels with presents. As there's pastors and ministers and men and women of God that are going out and sharing the gospel and evangelizing. And the angel's just standing there with a smile on his face, waiting in line patiently for hours and hours and days and years. Finally, he stands before Jesus and says, here's another soul that someone's prayed and brought to you. And then they run to the back of the line because there's already another soul ready to bring. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself, it is the gift of God. Verse 9, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And then verse 10, for we, 
are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. You're created to do good. You're created to do good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That the good works, that the, the healing, the restoration, the salvation has been prepared and ready for you to receive before you were even born, before you even thought about loving God. He already loved you. He already made a way. He was already ready and willing to give you that gift of salvation. Just standing there waiting for you to be a receiver. That we should walk in them. Jesus paid too high a price for you not to receive, investigate, and accept his benefits for your life. I did a sermon series on this, and it's a sermon series from my pastor, that there are scriptures that Jesus became so that you could become. And we've talked about this before, that Jesus became sin so you could be righteous. We'll look at this scripture in a minute. Jesus became sickness. By his stripes, we are healed. Jesus became sickness so you could receive healing. Jesus became sin so you could receive righteousness. Jesus became poor, that although he was rich, he became poor, so that through that poverty, you might become rich. Jesus became poor so that you could be rich. Jesus became a curse so that you could become blessed. Cursed is everything that's on the tree, so that you could have the blessing of Abraham upon your life. And Jesus became a son of man, praise God, so that I could become a son of God. Whew. Thank you, Jesus. Number one, receive the benefits of Jesus. Number two, quit believing you should receive bad. Get that karma thinking out of your mind. Well, I ain't been to church in a long time, so I guess I deserve that car crash. I ain't read my Bible in weeks, months, or years, so I deserve to get fired from that job. I deserve for my wife to leave and take my pickup truck and my dog all the food out my fridge, but she left me that cat. I deserve that too, I guess. We've got to get that stinking thinking out of our mind. Romans chapter 12, verse 2, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Jesus paid too high of a price, so I need to receive the benefits that he has for me, and I've got to quit thinking that I need to receive all the bad. Well, I did this, so I guess I deserve that. That makes sense. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 through 21. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, are you in Christ today? If you aren't, we can deal with that after service. He is a new creation. Old things, old things means your sin, means your failure, means your inability, means your insecurities, means your sickness, means your disease, means your, your wrongful thinking of yourself, your bad karma, your bad juju, any of those things. As soon as you say yes to Christ, you are a new creation, and old things are passed away. They're gone. The ledger that you think is up in heaven that balancing act of good versus bad, is he going to get into heaven? Is his sin going to outweigh his goodness? Is his goodness going to outweigh his sin? Has been wiped off of the map. All things have become new. All things. Verse 18. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Thank you, Father. Verse 19. That is... That God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Well, I did this. I, should, I did bad. I need to get bad. Not imputing the trespasses to them. He reconciled the world, and then he didn't hold a single thing against you when you believed on him. It has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Verse 20. Now then, there's a challenge to each and every one of us. And they tell us to live a life that's holy, to go out there. and It's not, oh, I want to be holy today. I got to be holy. I got to be holy. I got to, oh, I messed up. No, you are holy today. You are an ambassador of Christ. 
whether you like it or not, you are right now an ambassador for Christ as through God we are pleading through us. Why are we pleading? Because yes, we want to pull him out of hell, but boy, we want to bring a reward to Jesus. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Verse 21, I love it. For he made him who knew no sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. Righteousness is not a place that I'm trying to obtain, a pie in the sky that one day I'll get, I'm trying to get there in heaven, one day I'll be righteous. Because of what he did and he took on my sin, I receive and I'm in a standing place of righteousness of God in him. Quit dwelling on your shortcomings, sins, failures, faults, mistakes, insecurities, because that is no longer you in Christ. You are a new creation and Jesus has taken your sins and given you his righteousness. And the last thing, and I'm shutting up right now, is number three, be a giver after becoming a receiver. One, you've got to receive what Jesus has for you. That's the first step. You've got to understand what he's done for you. Number two, you've got to quit receiving the bad. Well, I ate too much of this. I deserve to get sick. Mom and dad and grandma, they had that disease, so I guess it's my turn to get it. They did this, they were addicted to that, they watched, they did, they, I guess it's my, no, quit receiving bad. Because when you receive what Jesus has for you, and you see the true love that Jesus has for you, you ain't got time to worry about the bad. And then it's your job as an ambassador of Christ to be a giver after becoming a receiver. Look at Matthew chapter 10, verses 7 through 8. Jesus is talking to his disciples and telling them to go out and preach. And he says, as you go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Verse 8. You heal the sick. You cleanse the lepers. You raise the dead. You cast out demons. Freely you have received and freely you give. Jesus is standing before his disciples and he is giving them, although once again, here's another faith statement, it has not been written, it has not been said that at his name, every knee must bow, every tongue must confess, every demon must leave, every dead must be raised, every healed must be sick. That has not been said, that has not been established in the kingdom, and Jesus is freely giving his name out to his disciples, giving them the authority, and saying, you go heal the sick, you go chase the lepers, you go raise the dead, you go cast out the demons, and freely you have received... Freely we have received what Jesus did on the cross. He says, now it's your turn as an ambassador of Christ to go tell people to be reconciled to him. Freely you need to go out and give. That's an upside down teaching that could change your life, change your family, change your community, and could change the world. That Christ stood in your place and you were supposed to receive all the bad juju and karma that was out there, and you deserved it. And Jesus pushed Barabbas out of the way and said, I'll take it all. Temporarily, so that they could have it for eternity. Thank you, God, for your upside-down teachings. Let's stand up today as we get ready to head out. Hopefully you were blessed by the sermon series. As you read the scriptures going forward, as you, as you read the gospels going forward, look for your own upside down teachings. Holy Spirit, let him show you some teachings of what Jesus said that can alter your thinking of what the world has done. We're going to go out with our declaration. I'll pray and then we'll dismiss. This is the last time we'll be saying it. Hopefully you wrote it down and you can say it for the rest of your life. We're going to start on the left hand side. One, two, three. I am a world changer. I will change my world. I am a servant. I am a giver. I am a lover. I am a child. I am a believer. I am a receiver. I will change my world. I am a world changer. Father, we thank you today for what you did on the cross. Jesus, thank you so much for the price that you paid for standing in my place, for standing in the place of the world so that I can now be called a son. We can be called sons and daughters. We can be called ambassadors of Christ, no longer enemies, no longer 
far away, but now we are friends of God. We are sons of God. We are servants of God. And you're my Abba Father. Help us today understand this teaching because it can change our lives, that we are receivers of what Jesus paid and did for us. And we will go out and be ambassadors of Christ. Father, I thank you that you're protecting your people here today. And I plead the blood of Jesus over each and every person here, those who are watching online and the other members of the congregation that aren't here today. In the name of Jesus and by your stripes, Jesus, their bodies are already healed. I speak your healing power and authority into their bodies right now in the name of Jesus. We no longer receive the sickness, the disease, or any type of negative thing in our lives, but we choose to receive the price that you paid for us. Father, I thank you that they are the head and not the tail. They are above and not beneath. They're blessed in the city and blessed in the field. They are blessed where they are right now, and they are blessed in the places that you are bringing them into in their future. And everything they put their hands to must prosper because the favor of God is on their life. Father, I thank you right now that they have the mind of Christ, that they won't be conformed to what the world is saying, but we will look at these upside-down teachings, apply them to our lives, and we will have the mind of Christ going forward. Father, I thank you that I am in a room full of the ambassadors of Christ, the salt and light of the earth, the city set on a hill, and we refuse to be hidden because I will no longer stay silent in my testimony. I will no longer stay silent in my evangelism because I know that when I help lead another person to Jesus, it's another reward that you get for going to the cross for us. So, Father, bless your people, protect your people, cause them to prosper in everything they do this week. Keep them safe and healthy in Jesus' name and bring them back safely next Sunday. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to Press Church Podcast. If you would like more information about us or are interested in giving to our ministry, you can click the link in our bio or visit presschurch.org. Don't forget to follow us on social media at Press Church SC and have a great week.